Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Seriac Chronicles is a Mayak Chronicles production. I think that they are one of the most beautiful teams to watch because I, I just think they're capable of playing on the ball, off the ball, counter-attacking. They're tactically unpredictable when they want to be. They are full of speed and energy and, and bite and youth and vitality and, and also veteran knowledge. I just want other people to see this. You know what I mean? I just want them to see what, what Milan's capable of. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Serie A Chronicles. I'm Mina Rizuki and as always I'm joined by Nikki Bandini. But before we have our little chit-chat, tell you about Serie I just want to let you know that this episode is fully free. So we like to do this every now and then just so you get to know how great we are and then hopefully get you on <laughs> as a member. We also have a 14-day free trial for our Chronicles to Fossi Patreon membership. So head to SerieAChronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles to Fossi membership for free. Hello, Nikki Bandini. Hi, Mina Rizuki. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I hear that uh, you're going to Bella Italia for Easter. I am excited. I fly on Thursday. The rest of my family's all flying out tomorrow. Too much to do to fly at the same day as them. So I'm flying on Thursday and uh, I'm going to be in the, the, the small town where my dad's from, which is sort of near, I mean, it's not that near to Bologna and it's like a 40 minute train journey from Bologna, but it's, it's nearish. It's a small town. And so we're doing that for Easter. And then since I'm in Italy already, I'm going to catch a train up to Milan and be there for the Milan-Napoli Champions League quarterfinal. So yeah, 
going to be a fun trip. I'm really looking forward to it. How exciting after, especially after uh, the match that we watched yesterday. Right. Yeah. Like you just, <laughs> I feel like there's a part of me that's like, can you please just wear armor? Cause I'm scared of what happens in these matches. <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of the day, I think that it's, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, not a thing I've thought about, Mina. Like it's, it's domestic Italian teams playing each other in Europe. There's, it certainly wouldn't be the first time the bad things have happened. I mean, even, gosh, um, I remember when we were looking at the possibilities for this draw and saying it could be a Milan derby in the Champions League and, and what a fun throwback that would be. Well, the last time the Milan team was played in the Champions League, a flare was thrown at Didi and a game got abandoned. So like, there's certainly um, yeah. not always been great things that happen when Italian teams meet um, each other in Europe. So It's weird when I think of like, as in I'd rather, like as in when I'm doing matches in which... Sometimes I, I would like be like, no, I'm not doing this game or I get scared. And I'm also like a whole one, five, three. So I'm very tiny um, <laughs> and I get really scared and things. But San Siro is a place, you know, that I feel a little, let's say sometimes a little bit safer than the others. Other than the, obviously, Juventus Stadium, I feel safe in. But like Bentugodi, which everyone hates, but I feel really safe in that one too. <laughs> But then there's others like Diego Maradona that I would have been more hesitant about, let's say, accepting to do stuff there, although mm -hmm. that's a great atmosphere. But I'm sure that you're going to be telling us a little bit more about how it was yesterday. Yeah. Is it just me or am I getting darker? Like, I feel like my tan is just like getting <laughs> like more deep. <laughs> just your holiday is still with you, Mina. I know. You're still like, your soul is still out there in the sunshine. I, I guess I was contemplating the other day whether I should move and just open a kiosk and sell like, you know, like coconuts <laughs> on the beach and then <laughs> not have to worry about this. I'll come with you. It sounds good. Because I had like this moment of watching like the Australian uh, for, uh, Grand Prix and I was like, oh, I hate the sport already. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> like then watching and then reading Gazetta and their comments on some of the matches that happened on Saturday, which annoyed me even more. And then I realized that there's no game I like. Like, this, like I hate all sports now. And I was like, let me just go back to Mauritius <laughs> and, and open a kiosk and sell things, you know. <laughs> Holiday blues is a thing. Yeah. Holiday blues is a thing. When you have a nice holiday and you come back and it's just like, oh, real world isn't a holiday. <laughs> yeah. And then you know what it was? It was having to get back on Twitter because like people are bullying me for not retweeting stuff. And I'm just like, oh. Twitter was never great, but it's definitely not better since Elon arrived. It wasn't, I mean, it, maybe that's not true. It was, I think it was great. I think it, it was, was great when it was like, no one really knew what, how it yeah. worked and it was new and everyone was just an idiot on there. That was fun. Oh, the good old days. But it's been a long time since it was that, um, I think. But yeah, it's it's not got better, has it? Anyway, do you know what else wasn't great, Minnie? Because you were asking me about this and I started, the conversation went somewhere else. What else wasn't great was the atmosphere in Naples, yeah. which I think you were just ask, sort of asking about in the, in the stadium. And I think worth sort of, we've got to get to the game because the game was such a crazy game, but um, worth sort of explaining this a bit because I can imagine some people listening won't know why like in Naples where for certain we are at the point of a massive like street party that goes on for weeks is coming the atmosphere inside the stadium still isn't that great in Naples and it all comes to the relationship between the ultras and Aurelio de Laurentiis sort of to, to go through all of it it would, would take a, a long time because the group list of grievances is is long and has all sorts of sort of individual things that were said we woven through it so the big picture is that there's ultra groups in Naples who have not liked De Laurentiis for a long time. 
but there was a strike officially for this game, uh, an ultra strike, which means, you know, they're not going to chance support the team. And instead you had them sort of openly chanting against Arena de Laurentiis in particular. And also there was some andata lavorare, which is, you know, get to work for the team itself, which you think is bonkers given the top of the table. And what was it the start of this weekend? Was it 19 points clear at the top of the table to start the weekend? And how is, how is it not just a completely delighted atmosphere? Because again, in the city of Naples, every day it's like a new mural or a new banner goes up. Like it's just constantly more and more party preparations being made. But the, the ultras are unhappy about several things. Uh, some of it is the enforcement of the Tessera del Tifoso, which is uh, the fan ID card that's not new, it's national and they kind of have to do it. So I, that one's a bit of a weird one, but still ultra groups aren't happy about it. They're not happy about restrictions that have been placed by the club on bringing certain things into the stadium. Flags, banners, flares, instruments, restrictions have been placed on some of the things that can come in and, uh, and they're not happy about that. And there's also unhappiness at the pricing of tickets for the Champions League quarterfinal. So there's a whole sort of set of grievances. And again, a lot of ultras who just have never liked De Laurentiis see him as an outsider, see him as someone who just wants to do business with their club rather than to win. And uh, the fact that they're top of the league and going to win their third over title hasn't cleared that grievance. It's worth saying that. And I always end up saying this. I think from the outside, people often see ultras and just think, well, that's just like a a fan who's really, really hardcore. And so what they're thinking, everyone thinks. It's not true at all. Ultra groups and Tifosi, the regular fans, often have very different perspectives on things. And when some of these chants started before the game, a lot of the Tifosi, the, the fans on the part of the stadium, were whistling and, and trying to sort of drown out those chants. So it's a weird atmosphere there. But all of that was in the backdrop to, I mean, Mina, this was the weirdest game that I don't think anyone saw coming. Did you see this coming? No, I, I, I was going to start off <laughs> by saying that I was one of those people that Spalletti was yelling at because when I saw it picked out, that game was picked out in the Champions League draw. I thought Napoli's going to flatten them, you know? And, and yeah. then he did this whole spiel about, you know, nothing about football if you think we're going to, you know, go out there and flatten Milan. And I was like, well, in their current state, you know, they're, they're not exactly this, this like dazzling team. I, I mean, we haven't seen this Milan side for a really long time, a really, really long time. And I just think that this was, it was so left wing. I did not expect it at all. Uh, there was lots of chat about Osman and then lots of people saying, well, you know, just to let you know that they've got a hundred percent record without Osman. They've got great um, players on the bench that can represent the great striker and, and obviously Raspadori, Giovanni Sumioni, who started the match. Um, they're not dependent on any player. They're still Kravatskelia and Nabotka and, you know, all of it. But Milan, as soon as I saw the way that he looked to want to approach this game purely in the sense that he played the four-man back line, he reverted to the 4-2-3-1 and put Benasse in that trequartista role. I'm not going to lie, a piece of me, like my heart flattered because like all I've ever wanted was three bodies in midfield, <laughs> you know, like I've just really, really <laughs> wanted this, okay? Like three bodies that are good on the ball and off the ball. Like, you know, just, like, it makes a difference, you know? And he put Brian Diaz on the right and I thought, I, I didn't know how that was going to go in, in all honesty, you know, layout obviously in Giroud. It was just a tactical masterpiece. Like it was just on Saturday, there was a game between Manchester City and Liverpool and everyone just went crazy when Grealish tracked back and 
did some defensive work, right? And that's what we all love to see. We love to see a forward who goes back and tracks back and helps the team. And when Rafael Leao did it, it was like, chapeau, well done. Like it, it was a real reminder of just who won the league last year and just how good they can be when they put the effort in. Yeah, I think it was just like, for a lot of us, it was like we'd gone back in time somehow. I think this season, not that they've been awful because they were still at the start of the weekend. In the start of the weekend, they were fourth. By the time the game kicked off, they were down to like fifth or sixth because um, obviously other teams had played. But Milan had just really rarely looked like last season's Milan. And last season's Milan were young. They were so, so direct, just like coming at you in arrows and willing to sort of take on their man and beat you that way. And Brian Diaz has had some good days before, but Brian Diaz was untouchable in that first yeah. half. It was just like wherever he wanted to go, he was going. And the first goal, when he sets up Leao, he's just sort of absolutely sort of makes a, uh, makes a fool of two people by the sideline and, and, and puts that ball through. And You know, even on the, on the goal he scores, I almost wonder if he had to do it, but he does it anyway, that dummy to sell Mario Rui, and it's just like a classic, like, you know, it's that classic moment where you see... It's not just that he's scored, it's not just that he's wrong-footed Mario Rui, but it feels like Mario Rui is having to throw, like, all of his energy, all of his effort into trying to do something. And then Brian Diaz is just like, they're doing it. I'm like, yeah, this is really easy. Like you're putting all that in. I'm just going to calmly go, yeah, make you look stupid. It was unbelievable. The, the confidence, the swagger, the way they went forward, just absolutely um, stunning. And at the same time, still really puzzling because like, it's one thing to go there and win, but they won 4-0. It's not just that they beat Napoli. Napoli, who conceded 16 goals all season, who had scored, what was it, like 64 goals in 27 Serie A games, scored another 25 and eight Champions League games. This team that averages like a 3-0 win suddenly like is getting hammered. It was, it was bizarre. I think the, the tactical part of it, as you've said, was brilliant. Pioli said, look, you know, I, I knew we were going to do this for a little while. It wasn't like something I decided on the day because the way that Napoli line up I didn't feel like we could stack up against that with a three-man defence. And interestingly, last year, they also won away at the Maradona. And that was because they, with Frank Kessier, wasn't the same formation, but they were similar in their approach. Exactly. They, this high, really sort of high aggressive press, get on top of the, the build-up play early. So it's an idea that's worked before. But I still think it's, it's crazy because... I, it's it's a weird thing. I don't know how you think about this, Mina, because part of me is like, God, has purely just got Spalletti's number? But then you remember they have lost to them at San Siro twice in the last two years. So there's just this weird dynamic going on where they both go away and win each other's stadiums. Yeah, you wonder what, what pressure does sometimes to these teams when they're playing at home, maybe against each other, or whether there's a determination to prove something. To, I have no idea what it is, but... I was trying, I came out on Twitter and I was saying that this is, I want to put this in context for you. In the 18 matches, Milan have played away from home this season. In all competition, they've won only six. In Serie A, they've conceded 19 goals away from home. 
And that, that's over one goal a game. And only scored 16 goals in 14 games. 16 goals in 14 games and four against Napoli. Like this is, mm-hmm. like to just explain, just like this is like a masterpiece. And it was really interesting also because on Twitter there was like a great uh, Premier League uh, who said, I think Napoli will still be okay for the title. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, don't worry. It'd have to go some to not be. I mean, even if in, if Juventus get their points penalty overturned, it's still a 12-point lead. They'd have to go some to not win the title. Yeah, now. I mean, there needs to be a proper capitulation for this to... And yeah. I do feel like sometimes I feel like Napoli gets a little bit more of this kind of disrespect where no one would have said that if it was Juventus who was in lead by that. You yeah, know? yeah. So yeah, I, that, I, is true. that yeah. kind of annoys me a little bit as well, but I, I'm, I'm sick of having to respond to people about the quality of Serie A, the quality of certain Italian teams. <laughs> But when it came to Milan, there's a part of me that was a little bit angry because it's like, where has this been? But then there's another part of me that reminds myself that this is a team that really has been missing some of their best players that have been overworked, that don't have a full squad. But when they do have a squad, like a a, a near full squad at their disposal, and when they do have Mike Manian at the back and can comfortably play a four-man back line and not have to sort of sit back and play deeper, which compromises them in the attack when they play with three men in front of Tata Rushano like they did. What they did there was to try to sort of defend themselves because they, they weren't able to do it. And especially mm-hmm. with Tata Rushano's inability to really play with the ball and to again, contribute something to the attack. So it just dropped everything deeper. But having Mike Manian back allows them to play that four-man back line. And what was excellent was having Kroonich sort of shut down everything. It's this thing where Carlo Ancelotti was talking about some of the, the, the tactics that he deploys in Champions League. Like Camavinga, they play him a, a sometimes in a left-back role, or at least that's what Deschamps wants to do in the national team. And he's like, well, I, I don't want to play him there. I want to shut down that that lane so that I feel secure. Um, and that's exactly what Kroonish does. When you shut down something, you allow the others to sort of elaborate and have the game of their lives like Tonali did. It's, it's, it was just this ability to just feel like there's someone who's helping you out. Do you know There's someone who's helping you out. And so we can then get the most out of our attacking abilities because you know we know where we have the space. And it's just this team that sacrificed for one another. It was tactically perfect. Tactically, absolutely perfect. I thought Benacer was great. I, I mean, obviously, Brahim Diaz stole the show. Leal, what, started scoring for the first time since January the 14th. Is it just me, by the way? Or did you spot that he just looks a lot fitter? Like, just a lot more lean than I feel like I've seen him recently? Or, or is it because... Leal. Yeah, or is it because I haven't really seen him topless in a while? So, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just... Yesterday, I was like... Things to keep track of. Yeah, things to keep track of. But yesterday I just thought that he looked like in much better shape and I, I didn't know whether that was just because maybe I haven't really concentrated on his shape before, but I just, it kind of irritates me because you're like, you're capable of this, you're capable of winning the Ballon d'Or, you're capable of these moments that just light up the world when you play. Like, I just want to see it all the time and I hate that we can't, I hate that. Hey gang, just wanted to let you know that you can now get a free 14-day trial of our Chronicles Defosi Patreon membership. Subscribe now for free for 14 days to get access to all of our full episodes, solo minisodes, bonus content, even behind-the-scenes bonuses like our chats about football, and of course, our chats about life in general. You can also get the entire back catalogue of Serie A Chronicles content. So head over to cdrchronicles.com forward slash Patreon and subscribe to the Chronicles Fosy membership 
for free. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. He's he's a real conundrum, and I think just like to pick up on what you were saying about the the, the records teams. I was thinking as a team, like because it's easy to say like all the numbers and like get lost in them. But like just remembering where Milan were before the international break, they literally got beaten three one by Udinese. Like yes. they lost to Udinese, who are in the middle of the table and have been going nowhere. Like it was just like that was the last result they had before this one. We got spanked by Bologna. But I was thinking, yeah, with with um sort of Leao individually, where we're coming from is no question that he's a great player. We've talked about it loads of times about how, how good of a player we think he is. But the fact is he, he hadn't scored in, I think, 11 games for, for Milan. Now he did score for Portugal in his last international game. And I'm certain that probably helps because that like gets him a, a, a little bit of something back. It was really interesting as well to hear him talk about on CBS afterwards. He, he did a, an interview with CBS on TV and he said, and they asked him about the change of formation. He kept, I do like it better. I like it better when I'm on the left and I feel like I have, at the way he said it, I think he said like, um, when I'm in the middle, I feel like I don't, when I turn, I don't, I don't have that space. Whereas when I'm on the left, I find that space more easily. And I can see that as a player with his attributes, with pace being without question, like one of the things that's a strength of his, having the space for that first step maybe feels really important to him. There's also, I'm sure, just like comfort level of it. Like if it's, if it's where he's played most, then it's about just sort of feeling at home, knowing where what's what. I still don't think he can explain everything because it was just such a sharp performance, but it clearly does help him. Just on his position, just to, I did see him go centrally quite a lot and Benacer sort of moving sometimes to the left to cross, you know, like for the second goal. So I, I did think that like Brian Diaz stayed more towards his position, but I did think Leal like sort of went into the central areas a lot more than usually I let's say I would imagine from him but I think it's not like he doesn't want to come inside but I guess just when you're playing with the back three you've got the wing backs outside you and yeah. this formation he doesn't really have that sort of pressure outside I mean you still got Teos he's still coming forward Mm-mm. um but it doesn't it it just sort of gives him a different shape of space that he can work in I guess but, you, but it's, I mean yeah sorry go no I was going to say like you know it's 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 amazing how like they just couldn't in the slightest bit defend against him whereas Cavada was so well caged by, you know, the likes of Kroonich and oh, my boy Calabria back to his best, you know, like. But it was a great game for everyone. Like, that's the thing, like, Brahim and, and Leal stand out because they scored and they set up and they were brilliant. I mean, Salamakas off the bench as well. But actually, you've already mentioned Tonali. Tonali had a brilliant game. Uh, Calabria had a great game. I, I just don't think there's anyone for Milan who didn't have a good game. Probably like, if I was going to pick out the worst, it might be, I don't know, Giroud, but he didn't have a bad game. He had a pretty useful game linking up. It's just that they were all brilliant. Yeah. 
where even Kroonich, like I honestly think that everyone had and did their job perfectly. But it, you know what, what it is and, and what's really frustrating is that you, again, I spent so much of my time defending Serie A, but I was doing a show on Saturday and they were talking about like how terrible of a league it is. And, you know, like what, what's Milan? Come on, like they were holding on against Spurs. Yeah. And I was trying to explain that Milan are really good. They beat Spurs. I know. They knocked out Spurs. I know, but they were referring <laughs> to Spurs as such a hideous team, basically. And yet Milan was still hanging on, you know. And I was like, so what, fourth in the Premier League? Yeah, this is what They just love to like, they just love to believe that, yeah. I mean, the guy actually said Fulham would make it to the top four places if they were in Serie A. And I was like, all right, it's okay. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it's kind of hard because I guess in some appearances recently with Milan in in, in even against Spurs, and even though they won that, it's not the real Milan. Like, I want them to see this Milan. Like, this is the real Milan. This is the Milan that we know that they're capable of doing. And it irritates me in many senses because I I feel sorry for them that they don't have the squad depth to maintain that because it is really hard to sort of play in different competitions with the squad that they have because they don't really have backups to these type of players. You sort of need Kroonich and Tonali and, and Ben said to be in the middle. You need Brahim Diaz to play like this sometimes against the small teams and not always against the big teams, you know, because he is a big team player. But it, you sort of need some alternatives, like how amazing it would have been if, you know, unfortunately for them, it, it's not working out for the Catalari at the moment. There isn't really much other squad players that they can bring in. So when they are capable of playing at the highest energy levels and they feel rested and can, can really go for it, I think that they are one of the most beautiful teams to watch because I, I just think they're capable of playing on the ball, off the ball, counter-attacking. They're tactically unpredictable when they want to be. They are full of speed and energy and, and bite and youth and vitality and, and also veteran knowledge, sometimes contributed by the likes of Zerud or Captain Kayer at the back. Um, I always call him that. I, I feel like I need to change his name. Captain Kayer. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of just wanted other, I just want other people to see this. You know what I mean? I just want them to see what, what Milan's capable of. And in, on so many levels, I want money spent on the squad because it's, this is what we should be seeing. This is what we know purely can create with this team. I want alternatives to the, to, I don't know, Ben Asser, just another midfielder that they can go to should one of these guys be out that's worth it. And I know Pobega's on, there are others, but. Ah, ah, Milan could be so good. We would have had such a thrilling race, you know, for the title. But I, again, it's just one of those where it's like you want to kick yourself at, at, that they haven't been that. And they haven't, I haven't seen that all season. I know that they were all right in the beginning of it, but I was complaining a long back that they were missing the likes of Kessia. This is the first, honestly, for me, this was the first match that I looked in there and thought they don't need anything. They're perfect. You know, they're, they're perfect. And maybe that is because of Napoli. Let's, let's talk a little bit Napoli. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think they, they they need depth, Milan. Mm. They need depth. That's that's without question the biggest issue. I think the starting eleven can be good, but yes, Napoli are worth talking about. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, Saki was saying that this isn't about them. I, I thought it was a very interesting piece that Saki wrote, and he said it's not about awesome and missing. I mean, at the end of the day, this was just a very lax performance from them. They didn't really look like they generated much passion or motivation or played with the kind of intensity um, that obviously Milan did. Do you think Osman would have changed that? I think Osman would have changed something. It's sort of worth pointing this out because I feel like you might look at this result and think it was something crazy. This was essentially more or less their strongest 11 minus Osman. Mm-hmm. So it was just one player. It wasn't like a, a, yeah. a, a rotated team. It was, you could, you could quibble one or two positions, right? But it's, it's, it's pretty much what I think their strongest 11 is. Do I think that having 
a centre forward makes a difference between 4 0 and winning? No, I don't. I think you still lose. Would it help to have Osman there because he's very different in his, not just his goal scoring, but his style to Simeone? So he gives you an outball. He gives you the sort of target man because he's big and he's physical in a way that Simeone isn't. Yeah, it changes something. It does. And he also might score because he's Osman and he always scores. But I don't think you can point to that and say, well, that's why we lose 4 0. If you lose 1 0, maybe you can say that, but you can't say it when you lose 4 0. The theories on why this happened, Saki's version is one version. Fabio Caressa on Sky Sport in Italy was saying afterwards that basically he was like, what if they're just hustlers in the pool room and they just were deliberately giving this one away so that uh, Milan will relax and they can beat them next time? And I'm just not that conspiratorial. I, I love that Italy is always like this and you know, has to have the most, the most conspiratorial take put front and center. But no, I don't think Luciano Spalletti said to his players, let's just lose. I think that's, that's not how that works. I do think, I do think that Napoli have shown in amongst all the good, a tiny bit of vulnerability recently. They did also lose at home to Lazio. It wasn't 4-0, but they lost. And perhaps I think that after However many months we're into the season, I think more teams are doing a better job of, for instance, caging Kvaratskhelia. I think that Pioli definitely is not the first coach to notice that if you can get on top of Lobotka, who you talked about a lot on this podcast, Mina, quietly a key to that team working right. If you can get on top of Lobotka, then other things stop working as well. So I think that there are maybe some like little cracks in the armor that are, that are being worked on by opposition coaches. And I also don't think that that means that they're going to necessarily lose Champions League time. I think they can be a lot better than this. And I think it's definitely true that, see, I'm not a cons- I'm not in this case a conspiracist. <laughs> I don't think that they, I don't think that they deliberately threw it, but I do think that the level of tension in this Napoli team is dropping because the league is won. And I think when it comes to Champions League night, there will be a different attitude. Now, whether or not you can just switch that on is the question. If you get two lakhs for too long, can you go back to being at full power? And I think that's a question that we ask. I mean, we've asked this for years, haven't we? We asked this about um, Bayern Munich for a long time. I think they eventually proved it was silly, but it was asked about PSG all the time. If you're not getting enough competition at home, does it hurt you in Europe? And even though they're playing a team from their home country, the same logic applies. If you're not getting hard enough games every week, do you eventually lose some of your edge and get worse? And that is a question that I think if I was, if I was a Napoli supporter, it would scare me a little bit. I think it would scare me a little bit. I, I know guys, we've been talking about this game for a lot, but like, I still have so much to say. So just hold on with it's us for a little bit. It is like a huge game, but it is, it is one thing that I just, I do feel like it was you actually who mentioned it because when they had that brilliant performance against Juventus in the 5-1, you said there were there were a lot of defensive mistakes. And a good and obviously Juventus are a good team, but a really great team who are on it and on the like can really take advantage of those and take advantage of the spaces that they create at the back. Another thing that what's interesting about Napoli is they do really work hard, right? But they're a team that is a little bit, to me, not too dissimilar to Manchester City. They are tactically perfect. They've got players that are just full of technical quality. But I do think sometimes that if you come at them with this aggression and bite, they're a kind of team that still 
that still has that part part of them that's a little bit like okay okay chill out like I, I, and they back off like what I would have wanted to see is a little bit is it is anger in all honesty is somebody like I don't know shoving Salmakers who dribbled past 15 players and made himself look like he was Diego Maradona you know Salmakers who is a lot of the time the guy that's considered the one who does all the sort of the dirty work you know that launches everyone else and instead he's the one that's scoring that kind of goal and and usually I can one thing that I would say that Osman does is more than what his ability is on the ball and what he can do in scoring goals he is a mental leader and that kind of guy who just sort of brings everyone on and raises the level of excitement and sort of eggs them on. And Anguisa for me wasn't really there either. And I feel like maybe that is the traveling. It is that they've just come back from places like Cameroon or South Korea or whatever it is. And it just seemed like there wasn't, they didn't show their teeth. And I, and I want to make sure that that doesn't happen because this was a performance that was about winning jewels. And Milan does that really, really well. When when a lot's on the line, they know how to win their jewels and really cause that kind of level of chaos. And I want to make sure that they will be able to do that or at least compete, not necessarily win, but compete in the Champions League when it comes to that. Obviously, a lot's riding on that. But yes, it does worry me with Lobotka because it's kind of like what, what people used to do, well, still do to Inter, which is just put a man on Brozovic and you can see them really stutter when it comes to going forward. And if that's the yeah. way to do it, then there's got to be another option. And usually they adjust quite well, whether it's Lausanne or Politano on one side and, and they, they find a way of freeing themselves. But on this occasion, when Milan is in this mood, is it an off day or is this, or is there some chinks to this armor? Which again, it doesn't matter in Serie A, but it matters for the Champions League because, you know, I need an Italian to win it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious to me to like, because, so I, I still expect Napoli to win. I'm bound to expect Napoli to win. The Champions League matchup. To win the, the tie, champ, the tie, I don't know the, the whole thing yet, yeah. but the, the tie. And I do think that Osman changes the shape of the game because again, like, if you shut down Lobotka and Napoli just say, all right, we'll par- bypass Lobotka and send it straight to Osman, that's a different challenge to deal with. But I do think actually you've been saying this for a little while as well, that, that, you know, that maybe there is some thing about if you can be the one to hit them first. And it's just, it's that little Mike Tyson thing in the back of my head. Everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. This Napoli team hasn't been punched in the face very much. Yeah. So that's what we landed to them this weekend. And now everyone's like, all right, actually you can, you can do it. Yeah. Um, we'll see where it goes. I wonder if it, there would be something in putting like a Raspadori just to help with just some of the work that Lobotka does. Cause I thought he was splendid when he came on. Mm. Obviously it was already a team that had fallen at this point, but they do need to find alternatives. If we, they've started to, if teams figure out how to defend against them and they don't show their teeth. But other than that, bravo to Milan, we should move on. Cause it's been like a, an hour on this game. <laughs> That was the biggest game of the week, for sure. Yeah, probably of the season, really, at this point. Um, it's, just- it's definitely one of the biggest games of the season. I said it was biggest season, I thought maybe that's going too far. But it was certainly one of the sh- most shocking results of the season. Probably the most shocking result of the season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the life of a journalist, Nikki had it planned that she was going to write about Inter Fiorentina. Um, because <laughs> it's a great matchup, right? It's a great story. Um, and... And then obviously like this result comes along and you're just thinking, yeah, yeah right. We're going to have to change course here. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I write my column on Monday for the Guardian every week. And, uh, and yeah, by the end of Saturday, I was like pretty clear which way that was going to be because I thought Craig, Inter really are on their way out of the Champions League. If, if, um, 
if it keeps going like this and, and Fiorentina obviously are, are having this incredible run at the moment, they're really um, doing everything they can to get into the competition for the, at least the Europa Conference League. I think the Europa League still is going to be tough just because there are six teams and a lot of points up there, but they're, they're really making a go at it. And uh, then this result, and there's so many sort of parts to it. So this, so obviously it was Saturday afternoon and Inter lost 1-0 to Fiorentina. This was a game in which, what, third defeat in a row for them, uh, 10th defeat of the season. Last time we've seen this was when the year that they had three coaches, which 2016 to 17, and they finished seventh then. This was Fiorentina's eighth victory in a row in all competitions. Also, what's important to note is that it's been three games in which Inter hasn't scored a goal. And the game before that, in which they did, it was a penalty against Spezia. They've lost 10 games, Nina. Yeah. They've lost 10 games. Inter have lost. This is not anybody. Right? It's a team that, at least at the beginning of the season, we thought were a title contender. And they've lost 10 games. I don't know how that's happening. Like, I just... Okay, so whose fault is it? You need to go Lukaku missing, like, open chances, right? Whose fault is it? There's, yeah, there's, there's two conversations going on here. One is Inter losing to Fiorentina. This game had, it's actually a really entertaining game, mm-hmm. but I don't think you can apply this game as like on its own a, a greater logic because I think this is a game where Inter could have scored and they could have won. Um, exactly. Fiorentina could also have scored more than once, but Inter definitely made chances and could have won this game. And Lukaku misses shortly before Bonaventura scores Fiorentina. Lukaku misses one of the worst misses of the season. And I have some some sympathy for Lukaku only in as much as I do think through sort of all my time watching football, I do think that the biggest sin for a centre forward is not to be in the positions to get those chances. And I think that sometimes people don't get as much criticism because they don't get those chances in the first place. Whereas the ones who get those chances and miss them get more criticism. I think that's not always fair. But Lukaku is not as sharp as he has been in previous seasons. That's just true. And I think that... um, I think that like... But is it his fault or is it the tactics? See, when we talk about fault for the big picture, to me, it's higher up than that. And it's just generally like a recruitment strategy that feels like maybe it's like the worst excesses of the end of, I suppose, without the sort of sideshow circus of a Cristiano Ronaldo moment, but the excesses of like the end of Juventus' successful era, where you're just, your, your whole strategy seems to be based around clinging on to talents that are fading and just signing only players that like might look on the surface like these opportunities like Lukaku because you can get it on a free transfer rather than actually planning your team. And there's just so many players in this team. And and I, I just feel like it it looks more and more sort of striking week to week how much this team feels like it is all a group at the end of a story, not the beginning of a story, except for Barella, who was practically in tears at the end of the game. He hit the post and was a whirlwind as he always is. And I just, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. It it just all feels so old and sort of like you're trying to cling on to some past glory that wasn't even a very long-lived glory. So, you're so being- I sort of feel like for me, that's where the blame goes is, 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 is the board. And of course, some of that is, well, like the board don't have any money. So what are they supposed to do? But that is where it's still, the, the buck stops is if you can't, if you can't do it, get out of the way and find someone who can. <laughs> what I guess I wanted to really get at is how much of this is on Inzaghi. Yeah. Would you would you say a lot of it or none of it or some of it or 
give me a percentage. I, <laughs> the percentages are hard because I mean, look, I, I think it's at least 50% at okay. the top end of the club not being run right um, more than. But I think that Inzaghi is cutting an increasingly defeated figure. Mm. And I think like even at the end of this game when he was talking afterwards, he, he didn't sound like he had... He didn't sound like he had fight left in him. He sounded like, you know, he was sort of acknowledging that this just wasn't great. And and that sort of felt worrying. It's like, I don't know that I believe that you have the answers here. And we've talked about it all season. He keeps finding good answers in in big moments, in 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 important games. They are still inter-season because still, in theory, at least, Mina finished with them winning the Champions League in the Coppa Italia, right? They could win two cups this season. And if they won the Champions League, it would be huge. But I don't think it's the most likely outcome. I just don't know that he has contrast him with Stefano Pioli, who has just gone to Napoli and reinvented the team going back to an old formula, but still doing it. And who, when things were going badly in the beginning of this year, abandoned all of those ideals, went to a completely different system and steadied the ship. He's not doing a perfect job, but Pioli keeps adapting. Have we seen any adaptation from Inzaghi tactically? Have we seen any like any real like attempt to change this, the the narrative with this team? I think again, it's not his fault that his squad isn't great. Mm. It's not his fault that some of these players are at the end of where they 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 could be. But it's now well, you've just said all the numbers. I don't need to repeat them. They're on a really bad run, and they need to change something, and they're not changing anything. You know, it's interesting that because now, if you ask me about the squad, I'll also agree with you, and I say it's not really a great squad. But yet. I'm fairly certain that when we did our it's not a bad show, squad. we both said that it's probably it's the not best a bad squad. squad. So is it? It's just it's just not young and hungry. It's not. Got is that, that what you think? It's a psychological thing. Yeah. So it's a psychological thing. I think so. Because they do well in the Champions League, right? In the matches that matter against Barcelona, oh, yeah. we see them step up against Napoli. We see them step up, but then it's it's a lot of losses to small teams, right? And obviously, yes, we understand that this is sort of Fiorentina and also a loss to Juventus, although for that, Rabiot's playing basketball for the last two games. So we also understand that there's some controversy there. But you see, I, I have this debate with myself the whole time where I can't figure it out. But it is also a little of like, maybe change it up, you know. And I, and I do think that he found his modules a lot and, and it helped a lot that he had Perisic up front. And so there was just so yeah. much movement when, or at least just a, a more unpredictable attack. Whereas now it's very heavily loaded on these two strikers, whoever they be, whether it be the, the Correa and Lukaku this time around, or Lautaro Martinez and, and Lukaku, or, you know, Zizeko. And I feel like he needs these two to be super efficient because the whole team sort of is dependent on that. Whereas once upon a time, like the opening game of the, of the season against Lecce, what I thought was so interesting about that match was how tactically they were so innovative and they stretched the team out wide and had lots of, um, stretched the opponent and then just had all these midfield runners and you just didn't know who was attacking because of Di Marco's position. And I thought that was so exciting. I was like, oh, look at Inzaghi, like, you know, reinventing this into side. But now they just look this team like, they create and they counter and there are opportunities. But again, is it harsh for me to blame him because opportunities are being created and yet we're missing open goals here. I mean, there was a game in which they had like 27 shots on goal and couldn't get the win. So you, you sit there and wonder like, because like this team isn't playing worse than Juventus. Do, do you know what I mean? And then Juventus keep winning, yeah. right? And yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Is, or is it like, a, is it that psychological thing? 
it, it, is it that desire to want to do it at all costs, whatever happens and, you know, like defend with your heart? I think the fact is, is that defensively, they're not so strong. So they need more than that one or two chances up front. You know what I mean? I think that's definitely true. I, I always come back to with Inter when you just go to the cold hard numbers. They've scored enough goals. They've conceded too many. Yeah. But you're right that there's certain situations watching them where you just feel like they get very frantic very easily. And that is fair to, to put on the manager and say, why, why is this team's temperament not quite right in those moments? There, there is sort of some sort of stories within the story, like Correa, I feel like, look, you, you've got him in the squad and you can't not use him. But at the same time, I feel like that's a player who is specifically someone in Zaghi wanted, who has almost never looked good in this Inter side. Almost, it's been a couple of games where it's sort of just happened out of nowhere, but he's almost never looked good in that team. And perhaps it's too dismissive of me to say what I said before about players being sort of older and unmotivated because actually maybe some of these players could still be lifted up to that motivation level. It's just how it feels. It just feels very stale. It feels very like there's not enough energy in the team. There's not enough. And perhaps that is, again, where you ask the manager, if you try a new formation, maybe it wouldn't be the formation that, that fixes everything, but the fact that you're telling your players, we're trying, we're trying to find answers sends a message in itself because there's this, there's this air of inevitability about Inter and it just feels like, it feels like in these sort of games where they just need a goal, it won't happen. And, and that's, yeah, that's something that I don't know, it's, it's, it's almost intangible, but it, it's, it feels hard to shake at the moment. Yeah. And I feel like this has been the way actually with Inzaghi, even Last season, you know, when we look at the stats, they created too much, but never really were efficient in converting them. It's probably worth noting that mm-hmm. their goal average um, from August to December was 2.3 goals. And that's since fallen to one since January. So there is something definitely going wrong attacking wise. And I, I do feel like they are just a lot more of a predictable team than they were before. I think I want to start a little sort of, um, what do you call it, segment in the show in which I just like lose my mind on Gazetta dello Sport. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a Mina against Gazetta segment. I feel like often before we start this show, I get Mina's unfiltered. I read this column and it's really annoyed me. And I think that the listeners would enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can honestly, I felt like, and they really, like, I shouldn't read them before I go to bed also, because then I just start thinking <laughs> all night. Like, I'm just like, I can't And I just think it's so mean. Like, why would you, <laughs> I just don't know why. And then like, and then half the time I'm just like placating myself and I'm like, no, but maybe he means it this way. You know? <laughs> and I just, okay, but this is just one of the comments. I don't know whether, like, yeah, I'm sorry. There's just a lot in Gazetta that has irritated me. And it's so this one writer, which I almost don't want to mention his name because I don't want to look like I'm just attacking him, but he blamed Inzaghi and he says this in full, okay, for this whole thing. And he said one of the things that he was mentioning as to why he blames him is Inzaghi did not give into the opportunities. The disappointing Di Catellare, just to name a name, played twice as much for Milan as Bellanova and Aslani combined. And it just, and I was like, yeah, he's their star signings. Do you know what I mean? Like the guy just arrived for like over 30 million. He's going to be put onto the pitch to see what he can do. Like you basically saying to them, oh my God, you need to play Bellanova and Aslani at every opportunity is not really a way of coming for them. You know, it's a difference where you say, hey, maybe change it up, but going for him there, no. Then there's just been this relentless 
going to him, uh, going to town about the fact that this team doesn't create opportunities. Uh, this would have never happened in the sense that they didn't get a goal under Antonio Conte. Failing to mention at the time that what they have is Dumfries rather than Ashraf Hakimi, and with all due respect, that Dumfries, you know, let's be honest with them. The guy is doing a great job as somebody who arrived from PSV, but he is not somebody who grew up in the Real Madrid Castilla and is the, of the might of Ashraf Hakimi. So let's pipe it down. Nor is this a team that has, you know, a great Brozovic side who is ne- who's a little bit older, who has lost uh, the Lukaku and, uh, and, and Lautaro Martinez flair, who had alternatives in the sense of Perisic, who had, um, I just kind of like Ericsson that could do something going forward in the middle, who like, there's just not enough of um, recognition of the fact that this team isn't spending money at the end of the day. This isn't a management that helps. This isn't a scouting team. And then they were like, oh yeah, but you know, he's the guy that said no to Dybala. Yes, I know, but hindsight is twenty twenty. Dybala is doing a great job. Okay, I'm, I'm you don't want to take that away from him. But this is a guy that spent many years at Juventus being injury prone, and he wanted ten million. It's a lot for Inter's wages, and for him to have accepted that meant mm. that he would have had to cut from somewhere else in the team, because you know he was being tasked with the fact that someone had to be sold, and he's begging them to yeah. keep as many as possible. So saying it, oh well, you know, you should have accepted. I don't know if Dybala would have changed all that much, to be very honest with you. You know, at the end of the day, like. I just feel like there's just this constant thing where it's always attacking Justin Zaghi. And I don't, I want to say this, I don't think Inzaghi is the best coach in Serie A. And I do think that, and I completely understand if they do want to move him on, even though, but I I just feel like at the end of the day that it's very harsh to pin this all on him. When again, his team created many opportunities and it's really, I feel sorry for him that right now, Lautaro Martinez is a streaky player. Lukaku just doesn't seem to have his, his boots and and Dzeko is a thousand years old and can't always be the guy that comes on and changes things around. But I don't think Bellanova is the guy that's going to change it all, is my point, or Dybala if they bought him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying in recruitment is, is, is like kind of better articulated than what I was thinking before. Like, Dumfries is not Hakimi. Acerbi, I've, I've liked him as a footballer, but he's 35 years old and he's not Milan Skriniar, right? He's not. And... 2023 Lukaku is not 2021 Lukaku. Yeah. So like every step when you look at this team is like a step backwards. Every change is a step backwards. Right. Uh, even Mkhitaryan, who's had some good moments, should have scored in this game. But I mean, Mkhitaryan, like he hasn't been a sort of player who you think of as like a, a top name in a long time. So It's a step backwards. Yeah, everything's a little step backwards. And also it feels like the, the thing I was saying before, everything's like a little step older. These aren't young players almost, well, some of them are not old, but Mkhitaryan is old, Acerbi's old, Lukaku feels older than he is, but he is still in his 20s. It all just feels like small steps in a not better direction and it's adding up, I think, for Inter, unfortunately. But Fiorentina were continue to be impressive, continue to be on this amazing run. Uh, I'm sure Jack Bonaventura really enjoyed scoring against uh, Inter at San Siro as well. Piraghi a rientrare con il sinistro Cabral prolunga le mani di Onana poggia in rete Bonaventura va avanti la Fiorentina al 53esimo minuto il timbro di Jack Bonaventura al suo primo gol del 2023 0-1 a San Siro Yeah, I can imagine that and uh, shout out to Luca Ranieri um, who I don't know. Well, he did get injured, but people say he feigned that injury to allow Sofiane Amrabat to break his fast. So how lovely if he did do that. 
Fiorentina, eighth victory in a row in all competitions. Gosh, they can. Do you think? Do you imagine they can continue the streak? Could Could you explain the breaking fast thing, Mina? Because not everyone understands what that's about. Oh, it's Ramadan. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of players are obviously fasting um, in in these matches, and that's why Amrabat didn't actually start this match because. Well, I don't know. I think that at the time, Vincenzo Italian was like, I'll just save him for the moment. Um, but then the time, so basically at sunset is when you can break your fast. And the mm-hmm. time clicked. They, he realized he could just have a drink of water because obviously you can't drink water or eat the whole day. Luca Ranieri, his teammate at the time, apparently realized that it was his time and because they were gesturing from the sidelines. So he feigned injury to give him that spit moment where he ran to the sidelines, grabbed a banana and a quick drink of water just so that he could get his energy up for the final push of the game. So I thought that was really sweet. It's so cool. I can't imagine being a top level footballer and not getting to eat all day. That sounds unbelievably hard. Yeah. Um, wasn't it, do you remember that time ages ago? I don't know who it was. Was it Montari with Jose Mourinho? And he said to him, you need to break off fast. And Montari was like, no, I, I, I just don't know whether it was him, but Mohamed Salah was. It was. No, definitely it, it was. It was, right? It was Mourinho. Um, Mohamed Salah is fasting. Actually, there's a player right now. Um, who's been excluded from a team. I read this. I don't know who, which team it was, I think in France. Oh yeah, Nantes defender dropped for League One match over refusal to break Ramadan fast. So there's some people that are really supportive, like Fiorentina teams, and there's others that are less supportive of your decision to fast. But hey, Morocco was fasting and they beat Brazil. So things can happen. But yeah, all in all, I'm really sorry to have like ranted. I'm not trying to tell you that Inzaghi is the best coach in the world or that this is all on management. It's not on anyone. I'm just saying that there's a lot of blame to go around and I just don't want it to all go on one direction. That's it. Next match. Um, oh, Inter. Poor Inter. Now I have to face Juventus. But it is a cup competition, right? And Inzaghi, we know, handles those very well. Which way do you see this going? Because... Um, well, Gazetta had a little bit of a go at Juventus as well. <laughs> I just, I don't know whether to go into another yeah. column about how much I got angry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just catching the clock and realizing how long we've been going. So they probably don't want to do like a big Juve Verona, no. do we? But like, they won, they beat Verona, Moiskeen scored. It was a proper corto muso win to, to call it the Allegri um, way. Destro sinistro per Danilo, Miretti di prima, Locatelli, sulla corsa di Ken. It was uh, winning by a short head and uh, it's so tough to call because because it's Inter and because it's a club. Nothing impresses me about Juventus, but if you're asking me which of these teams I feel I would more confidently think would win a game of football right now, it's Juventus and it's not close. So I'll expect it's Juventus that go through, but two legs, of course, so it's only the first leg. But my confidence is... Uh, reduced by the fact that Inzaghi keeps saving his best for the cup games. Yeah, I, I still think that this should be an inter victory, but um, obviously there was even more. I mean, this clearly wasn't Juventus's best game. Uh, and you could tell this was a team that was without a lot of their players. But uh, while I will go against what Fabio Licari will say on Gazeta, which is how rubbish this team is and what do they want and how are they going to build from here? This is still a team that is second in terms of points. And I do think sometimes they are in need of a compliment. And that compliment is the fact that they were playing Locatelli, Meretti and Fagioli in midfield at one point. And otherwise it was Berenkea. And it's just nice for them to involve so many youngsters, even better when it's Italians, right? So 
it's nice to see that, but don't be expecting them to perform the way that they did when they used to have Pele, Vidal, Marquisio and Pogba. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to accept that teams are not at the level of they were and that there is a, there are problems at Juventus and they're doing the best they can, but the football is atrocious. Roma. Roma. I'm sure Simon's delighted uh, after the, that uh, derby against Lazio. Managed... Um, well, with a lot of absences on the pitch, managed a nice 3-0 comfortable victory over Sampdoria. I feel for now, Sampdoria. Yeah, I mean, this was a weird game because, um, you know, it was 0-0 as long as Samp were on 10 men, were on 11 men and they had Jason Moreno sent off and and everything sort of fell apart for them. I think Roma were going to win this game anyway. Um, you can't say it for sure because they hadn't scored and, and goals change games, obviously. But they had so many absences. Yeah. But Sam Doria aren't very good. <laughs> We've given some nice compliments to Dejan Stankovic uh, and 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 his sort of efforts to get something more from that team, but they aren't. And even before the sending off, Roma were definitely on top. So the only question is, would they have found the goal? I think they would have done personally. Certainly once once they went down to 10 men, Sam did fall apart and Dybala showed off and El Shirawi's got a really nice goal at the end of, of injury time as well. But really nice, I think, just for this team to have, I think you talked about him so much when he wasn't there. Gino Wijnaldum is, is finally playing those games and scoring goals and, and being part of the team. It's obviously a really positive set for them. Spinazzola, non c'è spazio, Matic la mette lui, Wijnaldum! L'inserimento di Gini Wijnaldum, altro gol di testa della Roma, 1-0. Yeah, because I, I always think of Roma as being such a defensive side that it's nice to have a midfielder that can also produce something in attack, you know, and he is definitely mm. that guy. Um, Roma, I got accused when I said that I thought Lazio were a better team head-to-head, but they did win the derby. Uh, Lazio, <laughs> Simon is now glaring at me. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, I, I guess I take it all back to that wonderful game that they produced against Napoli that makes me think Lazio are capable of a lot. But obviously they don't always show that, but they did show some of that against Monza. Not that they were really very much challenged. 2-0 victory, which makes um, Milinkovic-Savage their highest scoring foreigner to Lazio. So congratulations to him. That's a great free kick. Inevitably, because Milinkovic Savic was a great free kick. Va Milinkovic. Supposizione! Supposizione! Che genialata di Milinkovic Savic! La risposta dopo un periodo abbastanza negativo a livello di prestazioni è questa, con un destro imprendibile. Well, Monza is, is an interesting team because, you know, they're a side that we give a lot of compliments to, but in this matchup, it just looked like they just didn't really understand where they were. And actually, when you look at their stats in January, I believe. Well, let me have a look at this because they've played 14 matches in January um, and they've won only four. So have we just hyped them up too much? Yeah, 14 games, only four wins. I think Monza are, are done. I think they're fine because they're not going to get relegated, but I think the rest of the season, we're going to see very little out of them. Really? I think, yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll, I'll get proved wrong. They just, it reeks of... I don't know if I'm just thinking this because it's Berlusconi and Galliani, and so that feels like a, a blast from the past. But it reeks of that like '90s mid-table Italian side that, like, as soon as they're safe from relegation, is just like, right, feet up, we're done. Like, I feel like that was a real like thing that was that prominent in the league for a while. And I think Monza 
on 34 points. They're almost certainly not going down just because those bottom three are dreadful. <laughs> so I think we're going to see, and they're not, not going to take any points the rest of the way, but I don't think you're going to get good performances from them against the top teams. Prove me wrong, Monza. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, Paladino should prove you wrong because, you know, if he wants to become <laughs> the next big thing, then, dude, you got to show us the medal. Um, <laughs> but other than that, Atalanta returned to winning games as well. So it's exciting to see what's going to happen at the very top. Um, our producer is trying to notify us that Benedeschi scored directly from a corner for Toronto. I did it. I didn't know that. Bernadeschi, and it's a goal! Well, the wind is absolutely howling into the visitor's goal here, and Federico Bernadeschi, who just cannot stop scoring. I mean, that's something. Um, there's a lot. It's so funny because if you actually follow like the account, I don't know, but for me, the stuff that comes up on the account, maybe it's not all of it, but it's like him playing pranks. So <laughs> I'm glad that he's also scoring goals. Nice to see Bernadeschi still scoring the goals. Uh, obviously, Coppa Italia games, we've got Cremonese versus Fiorentina on Wednesday and, of course, the Derby d'Italia on Tuesday night. I wonder whether Rabio's back to playing basketball for this match or not. Should be interesting and expect some voice notes from that. Over to you, Nikki. Yep, voice notes come from us, I think. I'll have one right before I head off to Italy and I'll keep you posted once I get to Italy. But for now, uh, that's a big thank you from us for listening. Hope you enjoyed this free episode. We will be back with those voice notes and then again with the main podcast at the start of next week. Enjoy your weeks, everyone, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Probably shouldn't have a done a thing against Gazetta on a free episode that they can actually hear. <laughs> <laughs>